listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, in your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 2. So we're continuing our series, our Advent series, where we're just going through the different birth narr- narratives in each of the Gospels. And today we're in probably the most famous one, Luke chapter 2. And y'all, and some of you may be like me in my generation, this passage is always tied, exactly seared in my mind, to one cartoon, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I don't know that I'll ever be able to read this passage without picturing, you know, Linus up there. And this is the passage that he reads, and he gets done, he says, and that's the meaning of Christmas Charlie Brown. That's just, that's how I was raised. It's always going to be there. And I kind of went back and thought about that uh, cartoon show. I don't know, what, that thing I found out, y'all, it was made in the 50s or the 60s, a long time ago. That thing has been around forever. And I kind of asked myself, what is the staying power of this little Charlie Brown cartoon? Because, y'all, it's not the excellent animation, uh, the high-quality animation. I don't know uh, if... Go watch the dance scenes, okay? The human body does not move the way that they draw them to move. If you try to do that, you will be injured, I promise. So why is it? Why, why do we keep returning to this every year and we all love it? You know what? I, I think it's this. I think all of us can identify with working really, really, really hard, running ourselves ragged this time of year to try and find some peace. And that's exactly what happens to Charlie Brown, you may remember the story. You know, it's Christmas. He knows he's supposed to be happy, but he's not happy. He's depressed. And so Lucy, you know, she sets up the psychiatry booth. Uh, I don't know about y'all. I would love some five-cent psychiatry booths uh, that I could walk up to. I could really use that in 2020. Uh, he tells him all about he's depressed. And so Lucy's like, oh, he tells him all the phobias. Here's all the things that you could be afraid of. And that doesn't exactly help. But then Charlie Brown decides he's going to fix it. He says, okay, I'm going to fix it, but I'm going to find the perfect Christmas tree. I'm going to put on the, the perfect Christmas play, and if I can just do that, maybe this time of year I'll finally be at peace. But none of it works. None of it works. All the kids argue. They don't cooperate with the play, you know. Uh, Lucy, she's always a diva, and she's hard to deal with. His sister, uh, his sister Sally, she just wants to kiss Linus the whole time, you know. And then they, they all make fun of his sad little tree, and he's trying so hard, but none of it is working. There is no peace. There's just disappointment for Charlie. And that's when Linus steps up, and you've probably all seen the scene. He steps in, and he reads our passage. And he reminds us, The irony with all of our hustle and bustle this year, the irony is that Christmas is all about what God has done for us, not about what we do. And here's what I think Luke is trying to communicate in chapter 2. It's this. Peace is received, not achieved. Peace is received, not achieved. Let's look in our Bibles. We'll start in verse 1. We'll kind of read a few verses at a time and make some observations And then we'll close. I'll read the first uh, seven verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What Luke is doing here is he's presenting two options. Peace you receive, peace you achieve. Well, how does he go about that? Well, y'all, I never really thought about this uh, connected to this passage, but Luke is a historian. He's the one who wrote Acts, the history of the early church. And so the way he is going to do this, give us these two options, is he's going to give us a history. Two histories, actually. The history of two different kings. And both of these kings, both of them will claim to be a savior. And both of them will claim to bring peace on earth. In verse 1, he mentions the first king, Caesar Augustus. Did you know this is the only time, the only time in the New Testament that a Roman Caesar emperor is named? This is the only name we get in in all the New Testament. We're we're supposed to notice that. We're supposed to take note and say, "Uh uh-oh, something's different here. Something, he's trying to tell us something. And so for the great Caesar Augustus, Luke is pointing us out because Caesar Augustus, his whole claim to fame was he achieved peace. His greatest accomplishment was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. You've probably heard of that in your history classes. He, brought, he is known for bringing peace to the world. But y'all, it was a dark peace. It all started with when uh, Caesar, his name was Octavius back then. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. You've probably heard of Julius Caesar. But really, he was more of an d- adopted son. Caesar, Julius Caesar really took him under his wing, but then uh, Julius Caesar was assassinated by the Roman Senate. And uh, Caesar Augustus, he was horrified by this. He was traumatized by this. He was stabbed with like 30 people. And so you've probably heard the phrase, et tu, Brute, even Julius Caesar's good friend Brutus. He's saying, you too, Brutus, participated in this. And from that time on, Augustus, he dedicated his life to making sure that can never happen again. And so he joined with a guy named Mark Anthony to defeat Brutus in his armies in Philippi in 42 B.C. Nine years later, he turned on Mark Anthony and Cleopatra at a famous battle at Actium. And for essentially what Augustus did is he bludgeoned every foe into submission until he became the undisputed master of the Roman world. And that's when he changed his name. In fact, he didn't change it. The Roman Senate voted to change his name from Octavian to Augustus. You know what Augustus means? It means holy. Holy. And it was a title until then only reserved for the gods. They're saying this is a man who became a god and achieved peace for us. About the same time, we found inscriptions. So about the same time that Luke is writing these words, there were some Greek cities in Asia Minor. They adopted his birthday. They adopted Caesar's birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the new year. And they had the, you can find these inscriptions that say, because they're doing this because his birthday was a new beginning for the world of the glad tidings that have come to men through him, through the Caesar Augustus. He was hailed as a savior of the world. And so they worshiped him. They worshiped him for the peace that he brought. We have a picture of an altar that's been uncovered. This is called the altar of Augustan peace. It's an altar they built to worship Augustus for the peace and prosperity he achieved. So for Caesar, through might, 
through will, through smarts, through power, peace was achieved. He was a man who became a God and achieved peace. And now he wants a census. And y'all, in the Bible, a census is a huge red flag. This is a trigger word. Every time there's a census in the Bible, bad things happen. You can go read in 2 Samuel 24, David decided he needed a census. And judgment came because of it. Why? Well, because, y'all, a census is a way for a king to survey his own greatness and forget God's. It's a way for a king to, to mark out his own kingdom instead of God. It's a way for a king to enforce his rule and not God's. And so to, for the Caesar Augustus to enforce his own greatness, he can force two nobodies from some remote corner of the world who are about to have a child to take this long journey so they can pay him taxes. Enter the second king. He's not a man who became God, but a God who became man. And of all the ways you would expect a great king to enter the world, this is not it. And so he points out in verse 5 that they are not married yet, but she is very pregnant. And Mark talked about this the last week. This has been the height of scandal in that day. And then what does he come as? A baby. A little vulnerable babies. You know, babies, they have no particular power, no particular impressiveness, no particular glory. You know, babies are messy, aren't they? They shoot out both ends. <laughs> How can this be some great king? And you know, and no, y'all, no one prepared me for this before I had kids. The truth is, newborn babies, they're ugly. I don't care what you say. When they're first born, they're ugly. We got to wash, we wash them off. We put them in the bows, in the outfits. Then they become cute and pretty. Then they get up here and they're beautiful things. You all dress them in. When they're first born, though, they look like aliens. I'm just saying. They got to wrap them in a blanket. Why? Because this great king, this God who's become man, he's vulnerable to the weather. He's got to be kept warm. We're told there's no place in the end for him. This was probably not a hotel. It's probably just a house. And houses in that day, they had two rooms upstairs, one for the owner and one for the guest, and the animals slept downstairs. And so that's probably where they're stuck, downstairs, because there's someone in the bedrooms. We're told he's laid in a manger. That was probably just a trough. Just a little trough is all they had to set this great king in. So that's the history. This, this is the history Luke gives us. But what could it mean? This baby's birth in the time of the great Augustus Caesar in the middle of his Pax Romana. So Luke's given us the history. Next, he's going to interpret the history for us. Rather, the angels are going to interpret this history for us. Let's pick it back up in verse 8. He says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is why it's so important that Luke tells us what the angel said so the angels can interpret the arrival of this baby. And the reason it's so important because, y'all, it is not clear at first whether this is good news for us. The angels, they see this. They're, they're not jumping and shouting first and, and shouting hurrah. It says they're filled, they're filled with great fear. The King James Version, they were sore afraid. That word there, it's where we get the word phobia. All the phobias that Lucy was telling Charlie Brown that he had. That's where we get this word. They, they were feeling all of the fears. Why? Why are they so terrified when they see these angels? Well, it's because... That, That's the way it has been. That has been the same reaction of every human being when they encounter the divine since the garden, since sin entered the world. You may remember Isaiah, Isaiah 6, and he sees this angel and all these heavenly beings. And what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. See, but ever since sin in the world, there's not peace with God. There is war with God. There is conflict. There is hostility between us. See, think of sin this way. Have you ever been betrayed by someone close to you? Have you ever had someone you, you know and you love and you care for deceive you? Or maybe there's been somebody who you've helped and you've worked for and you've sacrificed for, and then they just treat it like it was nothing. That's exactly what our sin is to God. See, men and women, sin is not just breaking some moral code or something. Sin is relational. Sin is a personal slap in the face to God, our creator. And so we all have a phobia of judgment because we know we're all guilty. And so we see this heavenly host coming, and is it good news or is that bad news for us? Will he bring judgment? Is he here to vanquish his enemies like the great Caesar Augustus? And then imagine even more so when we're told in verse 13, a multitude shows up. That, that word is the word for army. A huge army from God has shown up. Not 50, not 150, countless of this angelic army. And so we should all breathe a sigh of relief when the first thing the angel says is, fear not. You don't have to be afraid anymore. He says, I, I bring you good news. That word, that is the word gospel. The first person to proclaim gospel is this angel to these shepherds. And this word gospel it had a very specific use in the ancient world. It was used to announce the coming of a hero who saves the day. The one who does what no one else could do. The victor, like Superman, swooping in. That's why it's good news. Because someone has done what no one else could do. And so he says it's great joy for all the people. All mankind. 
This is great news for you. Big, little, young, old, black, white, you rule followers out there, you rebels out there, the high class, the low class, the confident, the insecure, the happy, the depressed. It's good news for all. What is this good news? What is this great joy? He says that word, verse 11, he says, for, this is it. This is what the good news is. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The reason for your joy is this little baby boy. And he says it's to you. So look on the gift tag. You know, we all get under the presents, my kids. Uh, They know. There could be 20 presents. And if there's 21, there's one present been added under the tree. They know it. And they go, and the first thing they look, and they figure out who is it to. Who is it to. Next to two on the tag, whose name is there. He says it's to you. He says this Jesus is a savior. He is a hero. He was not born this Jesus. He was not born a a self-help author or a good example or a babysitter or even a sugar daddy. He was born a savior. This this is why it's so important. This is what Luke is trying to tell us. It's not this baby in the manger that is helpless. It is you and I who are trying to do anything about our sin. That's who's helpless. That's who needs a savior. And I think this is why why I think he came to all the humble people in the story, not the proud. Joseph, Mary, these shepherds, not to Caesar Augustus, because they were the ones looking for a savior, not trying to be one. And so again, then this whole angel army appears. And what's their message? Not war, not judgment, peace. Peace is their message. The most... The greatest, most majestic, fearsome army the world has ever seen. And they are declaring peace to you and to I. This word peace, it's a word used with armies and, and nations. It means an end to conflict, an end to hostility. It means harmony. Think the garden before sin ever entered the world. That's peace. And so all throughout the Bible, this word will be, will be used to describe this new creation that is coming. When there will be uh, an end to conflict, an end to this harmony. When sin will finally be dealt with. When all things will be complete and perfect, just like they were always intended to be. It's the time the Bible talks about when the lion will lay down with the lamb. It's the time the Bible talks about when we'll beat our swords into plowshares and no one will learn of war anymore. Because there's only peace. These angels are telling us the moment Jesus showed up in the world, a way, a path to that peace entered into the world. It's here. If you've ever been living somewhere where a new road opens up or a new store opens up in town, you know, not too long ago, Toll 49 opened up or a new neighborhood opens up and they build these new streets. All of a sudden you have a way to get where you couldn't get before. Or if you, all you small town folks, you, all, you know how it is when a new restaurant opens up in town, right? I, I, I'll never forget the holiest day there has ever been in Monroe, Louisiana, when a Chick-fil-A opened. It's amazing. You know, and you watch, you watch it get built, but it, it's under construction. You can't go in. It's closed. And then all of a sudden, it opens up, and you can go in. These angels are saying, when Jesus showed up, the way to peace opened up. And you can now go in. 
this baby meant that peace is received, not achieved. That's what this baby meant. So if he's done it all, if he's, if he's brought it, what do we do? Well, I think we can learn from the shepherds. So let's watch how the shepherds respond. Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at it and what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. A couple things you need to know about these shepherds. Uh, Shepherds were not well respected. They were the low man on the totem pole in society. In fact, the word shepherd was synonymous with a thief. They were notorious robbers and cheats. In fact, they were banned. They could not hold office. If you were a shepherd, you could never hold office. If you were a shepherd, you could not be a witness in court. So you could have been an eyewitness all how the whole crime unfolded, and they say, sorry, we don't want to hear from you. You're a shepherd. Y'all, this is amazing to me. The only people in society below a shepherd were lepers. So in, in the structure of society, there's like, you know, Billy, whose nose fell off. And if you get too close to him, your nose is going to fall off. And then like just above it, shepherd. That's you if you're a shepherd. So what are these no good, no respect, dirty, filthy shepherds? What do they do with this gift that was to them? They received it. That's all they did. They received it. They said, let's, in verse 15, let us go. We're going to go and see this thing that has happened. So what are we going to do? We're going to see something that has already been done. God has worked it. God has accomplished something. And we're just going to go see what's already been done. And so it says in verse 20, they couldn't stop talking about it. They were glorifying God. And actually, the language is the same as the way the angels were glorifying God earlier. And the way the verb tense is, it's ongoing. It's like they couldn't stop talking about it. They couldn't shut up about it. And the text gives no sense that their glorifying God ever stopped. So this is the right response by the shepherd. It was to go to Jesus. And once they did, they glorified God forever. You see, men and women, it's not enough just to know the story. And we do a lot of times this year, and we should. We, we tell the story, and Charlie Brown tells the story, and, and the Grinch doesn't really tell the story. But a lot of people tell the story. You know, Herod knew the story, and it infuriated him because it was a threat to the Pax Romana that they had achieved. The Bible says the demons, they know the story, and they shudder at it. Like the shepherds, you have to go to the one who has come to you. And you have to give glory to the one that has been given to you. So what is giving glory to him? What what are they talking about here? I like the way Tim Keller describes it. He says, to give glory to God means he carries greater weight than you. So his wisdom is weightier than your wisdom. His desires, what he wants... They carry a greater weight than your desires and what you want. His recognition carries a greater weight, a greater importance than your 
recognition. And the reason, the reason you don't have peace is because you have made yourself more important than God. You have made yourself more important than him. You have decided to achieve for yourself instead of receive from him. See, the Bible puts it this way. The Bible says that each and every one of us is like our own little Caesar Augustus trying to rule over our own little kingdom and our own little realm, trying to achieve some kind of peace for ourselves. But the truth is, y'all, all, all these little areas, individual areas of our life where you can't find peace, these are all just little skirmishes in a much greater conflict, the separation between you and God. Because instead of worshiping him, following him, glorifying him, we've decided to go our own way. And men and women, until that wound is healed, nothing else will work. You know, I started thinking about this week, about all the different pieces of advice people give us about how, how to have peace in this life. You know, things like, hey, just focus on what you can control. Be true to yourself. Spend some time in nature. Exercise regularly. Watch what you eat. Meditate. Be financially disciplined. All of these things, all of them, look, they're all good advice. You need to do them, but they cannot achieve peace. Being liked, being important, having fun cannot achieve peace. Self-knowledge, knowing your Enneagram, knowing your strengths finder cannot achieve peace. Electing the right person, yea, even being the number one military power in the world cannot achieve peace. But we try really hard, don't we? I know I do. In fact, I would guess each and every one of you, each and every one of you right now are trying to achieve peace for yourself. Where? Where? Identify right now. Put in your mind the place in your life that you're working really, really hard trying to achieve peace for yourself. You got it? You got it in your mind? Right there, right in the center of that place, receive it instead of achieve it. At that place, whether it's this sense of shame, this depression you can't get over, this relational conflict that you're going to have to navigate all during the holidays, your worry, anger, the birth of Jesus is your peace. Receive it. Even if you don't feel it, you can receive it. And the reason you can receive it is because he achieved the peace that you and I are really longing for peace with God. This is what Colossians 1.20 says. He says, he made peace, Jesus made peace through the blood of the cross. Thinks about what lays ahead for this baby. One day soon, instead of being wrapped in swaddling clothes, he's going to be stripped naked to be beaten. Instead of shepherds arriving to marvel at him and glorify him, there's going to be an angry mob shouting for his execution. Instead of his mother wrapping him and holding him close, he is going to die alone on a cross. But all along, every step of the way, he's going to say, no one takes my life from me. I offered up freely as a gift to you so that you and I can be at peace. Because here's what happens at the cross. The things that separate you from God, your sin, they've been dealt with and removed at the cross. And all the things that make for peace, righteousness, love, glorifying God, Jesus did all of those things 
perfectly. He lived a perfect life. And then you know what he did? He wrapped them up in a gift with a bow on top. And he got a tag out. And next to two, he wrote your name. And he gives you all of that peace with God, all of that righteousness, just as a gift. So this Christmas, here's, here's my invitation to you. Get off the hamster wheel. Stop trying to achieve peace with God. Come to the Savior who has come to you. Give glory to the one who has been given for you and receive peace from the Savior born to you who is Christ the Lord. That's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.